Well, good morning, everyone. I hope you're doing well this morning. If you have your Bibles uh, or if you have your app, I'm going to ask you to turn or to go to 1 John, all the way at the end of the New Testament, towards the end of the New Testament, 1 John. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 4 today. And and I just want to say, guys, thank you guys so much for being here today. Thank you for being here in the house. Thanks for those of you guys who are watching online uh, today. And thank you for those of you who are out on the backstage patio. You guys have the best seat in the house today, man. It is nice out there. Um, you know, don't get up and leave here in the house, by the way. Uh, I'd love for you to stick around. Uh, anyway, we are in this series, and we're in week uh, seven of uh, the DNA of a transformational church. And we as a church, I really felt like God was leading us to really kind of reestablish who we are as a church. We're you know, beginning our, we're celebrating our 15th year next fall as a church. And, um, you know, when you're in that middle school, high school age, you need to begin to determine who you are. And so we're a, now a high school church almost, uh, not quite, but almost. And so we need to make sure that we know who we are. And so we decided and God led us uh, to have a whole series that we would focus on the values of Hilton Head Island Community Church and the vision. And so we come today to our sixth word. We've talked about five of the words so far. And we come to our sixth word. Next week we'll be with our seventh and last word. And then we're going to practice it for a couple of weeks. You'll hear more about that um, in the weeks to come. But we come to this word today, the kind of church that we want to be and the kind of church that we want to become is a church that is growing. It is a church that is giving. It is a church that is welcoming, that is entrusting, and that is serving. But we also want to be a church that is loving, that is loving. Now, uh, I got to tell you, our our mission statement drives at this, and it should be a no-brainer, right? Our mission statement is to passionately share the message of Jesus Christ and to lead people to follow him. That's our mission. And in fact, that's the Great Commission. You're going to hear about that next week. We're going to talk about the Great Commission next week. But we also want to be a church or inherent in that, kind of tied in that mission, is the idea of being a church that is loving and, and the definition that we've brought to this word loving, uh, that's our vision and our values, values and vision, is a church where all people, a church where all people can come without fear of judgment. A church where all people can come without fear of judgment. Now, I, I, there may, I, I get that some of you may be thinking today, and I, quite honestly, I've thought this too, shouldn't being a church that is loving be a no-brainer? Like, do we even need to bring definition to this, right? Like, shouldn't that just be kind of part and parcel of, you know, being a, a Jesus follower? I mean, Jesus was loving. We're supposed to be like him. We're disciples of him. We're supposed to follow him. Shouldn't this be like a no-brainer, right? Shouldn't it be obvious that the church, that God's people, that Christians should be loving well, I want to ask you a question. You can answer this, you know, you can answer it out loud. I don't care. I'm cool with that. You can answer it privately. You can answer it however you want to answer it. Is the church, capital C Church, known for being loving? When the world looks at the church, 
When the world looks at Jesus followers, I'm talking about today, 2021, you know, in October of 2021, does the world, when they look at the church, do they think, oh, those are loving people? I don't think so. I don't think so. I'm not talking about you, and I'm not talking about you or you in the back. I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about the capital C church. When the world looks at the church, do they think, yeah, it's a loving place. I would suggest to you today that the world looks at the church and thinks just the opposite. I think the world looks at the church, the capital C church, and goes, those people are judging those people are holier than thou. Those people have this attitude towards me or to, you know, my people or whatever it may be that is, that is judging, that is harmful, that is hurtful. I think that that's kind of the general sense when people think about the church or Christians from the world's perspective. And it makes sense because there's a tension here that we have. The tension lies in once we become a Christ follower, once we put our faith in Jesus to be our Savior, the Holy Spirit creates in us a desire to maybe leave the past. That's what repent means, to leave the past and and to live in Him, to live in the freedom uh, that He provides, but also to be holy like He is holy. And so the further we go down the line of getting to know Jesus and becoming more like Him, there's this tension that's built in where we distance ourselves in terms of our behavior from the world. And so I'm actually kind of like sympathetic towards the fact that as a Christ follower, there's that tension built in and it's hard to love people and it's hard to love the world. You see, the Christians will get to the point, myself included, where we will engage someone who's a not Christian, who's not a Christian, who's a not Christian, that was funny, who's not a Christian, and we will engage someone in the world and we'll say, um, you know, we, we want you to behave and then believe and then you can belong. And that's kind of what we desire. But God's love demands I believe something different. I think we're going to see that today. God's love demands that someone who's far from him, who doesn't know him as his savior, believes and belongs, and often the behavior comes later. I mean, let's face it, it's, it's hard to break old patterns and habits. Am, am I right, church? Am I right? And we may, we may accept Jesus as our Savior, but what lags is maybe some of those things that we were engaged in before meeting him. And, and man, we still have this old stuff left over. And the problem is, is that there's this tension that's built in because we don't understand love. So I would submit to you today that loving may be one of the hardest things that we have to do as Christians. Loving each other, Loving the world, loving the people we live with, <laughs> our family. This is a hard one to get. It's a hard one to do. And so today I want to look at a book that's all about love to, to give us guidance. And we're going to take a deep dive into 1 John chapter 4 today. Now, let me just give you just 
a bit of kind of context about the, the letter of, of John, 1 John. 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John are kind of all, they kind of all go together. Uh, it's kind of like Star Wars when I was growing up. There was, you know, the first three, which is actually four, five, and six. This is 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and they kind of go together. There's some debate on who it was written by, because in that day and age, a lot of people think it was uh, John the gospel writer, because you'll see in a minute why that may be the case. Others think that it might have been John the Evangelist, who a lot of people think is the son of Zebedee, and that's a whole thing right there, and I'm not going to go into any more detail. And it is a little bit confusing, because in that day and age, everybody was named John, right? It was like everybody had the name John. All men had John, it seems like, in their name. It was like when I went to Romania on a missions trip, sat down around a small group, and all the women, literally all the women in the group had Maria in their name. It was hilarious. And that's the way it was in the first century. There were a lot of people named John. And whether it was the Apostle John or whether it was the Evangelist John, this book was written to Christ followers who were being taken away with a certain heresy that was seeing itself, it was kind of creeping into the church that caused Christians to doubt their salvation because the heresy that was kind of being brought into the church said that Jesus wasn't real, that the Son of God was either a ghost or really didn't even exist. And so if that's the case, then they were struggling to uh, you know, believe that their faith was real. And so this letter is written to help with that, to help people understand the divinity of Christ and the fact that their faith is, in fact, real. And so he talks a lot about love, which is the centerpiece of what God did by sending his son. So let's dive in. Let's take a look at 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to go all the way through verse 21 from uh, verse 7. We'll start with verse 7. We're going to take a look at 1 John. It's an amazing passage about love. He begins, he says, Beloved, beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God, say that next word with me, is love. God is love. It's not just that God demonstrated love. It's not just that God showed us love. It's not just that God does love. He Say it with me one more time, is love. The very nature of who God is, is love. I want you to think about that. That's important. That's an important doctrinal foundational principle that God is love. And he says, in this, excuse me, uh, uh, verse 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the substitute for our sins. And so he spends the first 10 verses establishing that God's son is real, that he did exist, that he does exist, and that it is the very nature of God to love, and that he demonstrated it towards us by sending his son to die on the cross for our sins. It's the gospel message right there, which is part of the reason a lot of people believe that this was John, the gospel writer, that wrote this message. I love Eugene Peterson that wrote the message 
version of the Bible, which is really a paraphrase, and he said this. He said the person, he said this is what John was trying to say here, the person who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God because God is love, so you can't know him if you don't love, right? One thing leads to the other is what he's saying here. And then in verse 11, he kind of summed it up. And he begins to change the story, not change the story, but he begins to take what he's just said about the fact that God is love, and he says that demands something of those who are now Christ followers. And he says in verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If this is true, then this has to be the response. If this is our most foundational principle that our faith is built upon, then the output of that, the result of that, is that we are going to love each other. Let's keep reading 12 through 16. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified, there's another reason, I think it might be John the gospel writer because he saw Jesus. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know, he says. And this is where he's trying to get, to, get, to the, get them to a place where they, they absolutely know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they have salvation. We have come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So he goes on to say in verse 17 through, we'll read through the rest of the chapter, by this is love perfected with us. By the way, those previous verses, he's essentially saying God's unseen, but you're seen. And he's essentially saying you're God's representative. Have you ever heard someone say, you might have heard me say a few times in the past that like we who are Christ followers are Jesus, we're Jesus with skin on, which when I was young, that really creeped me out for some reason. I don't know why. (laughs) That's what he's saying here. He's saying that we are the representative, the one who loved. Before he did anything else, he loved us. Okay, 16, 17. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Again, assurance of their faith. Because they were doubting their faith. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. He says this, there is no fear in love. Perfect love cast out fear. You don't need to fear for your salvation if you've put your faith in him. It's secure. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Listen, church, I want you to hear that again. We love because he first loved us. We're going to come back to that verse in a moment. If anyone says, I love, here's where it really gets up in our face here. This is where John really gets up in our face in verse 20. If anyone says, I love God, and he hates his brother, he's a liar. He's a liar. For he who does not love his brother 
whom he has seen, cannot love God who he has not seen. And then in verse 21, he ends with this, and this commandment. I want you to say that word with me. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Eugene Peterson in the message summarizes this section in this last part. He says this, if, if he won't love the person he can see, how can he or she love the God he can't see? The command we have from Christ is blunt. <laughs> loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both. Now, this is not so easy. But I want to summarize this whole thing with two statements of why we who are Christ followers are to love. It's why we're talking about this today. It's why us as a church, in fact, I wish you could have seen a picture into the kind of the behind the scenes on this. This is something that we've been praying about for a year. These seven words that, you're, that you see up on the wall when you walk in and it's up on the wall in the community center and that we're talking about over these you know, weeks together. And this is going to be something that is a springboard for the years to come. But we as a staff and as a leadership team, we were looking over it and, and we were trying to kind of get these words and we just said, we have to be loving. And it's, it's, the heart, it's, the, it's really the lifeblood of the church. We said last week that serving our community is the, the heart of the church. And loving people is the lifeblood. And why? Two things. One, we love because God first loved us. Listen, church, we, we don't love because it's culturally acceptable to, to, to love. We don't love because it's good marketing. We don't love because it's just what humans should do. We love, first and foremost, because God loved us first. He made the first move. And he accepted me. And I was unworthy. I don't know about you, I didn't deserve for God to send his only son to die on the cross. I don't do enough good things, and I do too many wrong things to deserve it. I get frustrated sometimes with people, maybe even some of you. <laughs> I get frustrated with my family, my kids, and my wife. I get frustrated with my sports team, one of whom is playing right now, and don't tell me the score. And I get frustrated with those teams, except for last night, because I'm a Georgia fan, so I have to say it, go dogs. I get frustrated sometimes with a car that doesn't work, and a bank account that just doesn't seem to add up all the time, and college tuition that's coming up in less than a year for me. I get frustrated with a house that's old and it's breaking down, and I get frustrated when people from Ohio and Pennsylvania cut me off on 278. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here on Hilton Head Island. We appreciate it. <laughs> uh, it's not easy. But we love because God first loved us. And secondly, we love because God commanded us to love. He commanded us to love. I don't like that word. Do you? I don't like that word. I don't like the word obey. I don't like the word command. I don't like must. 
I don't like those words. But God commanded us as a church to love. Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39, give us the result of what happened in the previous verses. And in the previous verses, Jesus was hanging out with his disciples, and they were having this kind of argument about who, well, there, been, there were several times that they were talking about who's the greatest, but then they were talking about what's the greatest command, which of, which of all the commands is the most important, which is the greatest command, you know, and it was like, I remember, you know, my dad, I mean, he was pretty, he was pretty strict and, um, you know, but a great loving father, um, and he, but we had a lot of rules, right, and so I remember, like, as a kid, kind of clarifying which one was really important. Did you ever do that with your parents? My dad always responded with all of them, right? Jesus doesn't respond with all of them, thank goodness. Thank goodness. When they're arguing over what's the greatest commandment, Jesus said this, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And he says, this is the great and first commandment. And he goes, and the second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he goes on to say after that, this is the summation of all the laws. So unlike my dad, Jesus didn't say all of them. They're all the most important. He said these two, these two sum up all of it. Love your God and love people. And this is the really hard part. He doesn't give definition to who the people we are. I mean, I wish that Jesus had followed this up by saying, love your neighbor who agrees with you on everything. I wish he had said, love your neighbor who mows grass and it's nice and green and it looks good. And I wish he had said, love the employees and employers and your coworkers that actually like do their job and they're doing it well and you love being with them. And I wish he said that love your, your kids, especially those ones that are most like you. <laughs> but he didn't, did he? Who did he tell us to love? All people. Listen, I know for some of you are like, Todd, why are you talking about this? I'm going to be really honest. Because there is no more divided place in the world sometimes than the church. Someone once said the most divided time is, on, on earth is every single Sunday morning. And the most divisive place is the church, and that cannot be the case if we truly understand God's love. And I'm just as convicted by this as you are because loving all people is not easy, but that's who we're commanded to love. John 15, verse 12. By the way, I'm just telling you what God says. I really am. You can come talk to me afterwards, but you might have to talk to him about some of this stuff. John 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. 2 Timothy 2.24, we're going to dive into this towards the end, um, says this, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to, say that last one with me, everyone. I I don't want it to be the case. I wish it weren't. Because I struggle with this. I struggle with this. 
See, it's not easy to love all people because all people are hard to love. It's true, isn't it? All people are hard to love. And if you're listening or watching, you're in the room or in backstage, and you're like, I'm not hard to love. The reason you would think that makes you hard to love. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> we, have a, we have a tall order when it comes to this one. We have a tall order when it comes to this one. I mean, truly loving like Jesus love. It's not easy to love all people because all people are hard to love. And so I want to just talk very briefly about four ways from God's word, I think that we can be a loving church in ways that you and I can be a loving Christian. First and foremost, I think if we are going to be people who are loving, we have to be patient. We have to be patient. Oh, man, it's so hard. It's so hard. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4, verse 2, he says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Oh, man. I need that, I need that in my car when I'm driving around town from May to August around here. I do. I need it on the golf courts when they're filled in the summer. I need it with my family sometimes. And you know what? <laughs> they need it with me. They need it with me. We've got to be patient. And that may be hard. And by the way, uh, in Roots this Wednesday night from 6 to 8, uh, they're going to dive a little bit more into these four different things that we're talking about. Because here's the thing. God calls us to be loving towards other people. He calls us to love all people. He calls us to do that. But here's the thing. I, I, these four things that we're talking about are difficult to do. And on our own, on my own, I, I can't. I can't. I can't do these things. I can't be patient in a line at Disney World. I, I can't be patient when I go to the DMV and I'm just trying to get this done because I got more stuff to do. I can't be patient when I've got somebody who disagrees with me on the choices that I've made for my family. It's hard. And so we need God's strength. Church, we cannot do this on our own. And the reason we see so much division in the world and the reason we see so much division in the churches is because we have tried to do this by ourselves and we can't. And so we've got to ask God to help us to be patient, to be before we do. <laughs> see, I don't need to ask God for the patience when I'm in line and frustrated if I'm in my daily life asking him to be a patient person. Or to be a kind person, that's the second one. Be kind. The verse I just referenced a few minutes ago, 2 Timothy 2, 24. I want you to read 23 and 24. This is a message, by the way, to those who are leaders in the church, elders in the church. But this is for all of us as well, I believe. As we're Christ followers, as we're trying to become more like Jesus. He says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know he says, they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but, what's that next word? 
kind to everyone. (laughs) Think about the last two years with all that we've dealt with and all that we've faced. (sighs) Hey, look, I've I've got my opinions too. I do. I've got my, I've got the things that like just, you know, drive me nuts that when I see it, it's hard for me to be kind, right? We all do. We all have these things and, and the world is just, the last two years is just you know, peeled the onion way off and exposed how deeply committed we are to things that matter, but that they matter less than loving God's people. We have to love, and it's hard, and it's difficult, and I understand it. But he says, have nothing to do with foolish or ignorant controversies because you know they breed quarrels. Man, we see this played out on social media all the time, don't you? I know, you, I know you've seen it, you've heard of, heard of it, you've experienced it maybe. And what, what do we do in the church? What we do in the church is we say that social media is wrong or evil. I got news for you, it's not social media that's wrong or evil, it's us. <laughs> it's those of us who are using that tool to drive a wedge between us and someone else stir it up, to be right. God's not calling us to be right. He's calling us to be loving. Be patient and be kind. Be forgiving. Be forgiving. Colossians 3.13 says, bearing with one another. Man, that word keeps popping up, doesn't it? God, I don't want to bear with some people, right? I don't. I mean... How many of you would say that? I mean, just let's just be honest for a second. There's just some people. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to, you know, elbow the person next to you. It's fine, all right? You can talk about it at lunch. Have fun. Uh, but there are times when I don't want to bear with people. But this is the second time we've seen that in two different verses. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you so you also must forgive. So you must also forgive. Luke 6, 27 and 28 says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. That's a tough one, isn't it? That is a tough one. Listen, there are some of you who are here today and you have been harmed or hurt by someone, whether Christian or non-Christian, doesn't really matter, just some other person. And, and I know the pain is deep. We talked about mental health uh, a few weeks ago in a series called Inside Out. I know that this is difficult. God's word says that we should love our enemies. It doesn't say we have to agree with them, does it? It doesn't say that we have to be best friends with them. Hmm says that we should love them. The last one, the fourth one, is be accepting. Be accepting. This is hard. This is not easy. Romans 2.1 says that God shows no partiality. Excuse me, 2.11. God shows no partiality. In his love, he shows no partiality. And if God shows no partiality, then we shouldn't either. There's, there's an old phrase that we can love we can love the sinner and not love the sin, and it's a little bit trite because it kind of glosses over. The, we, you know, we 
We hate the sin and love the sinner because it glosses over all the issues and how hard that is. But it's true. It's true. That we can disagree and we can have, you know, we can have problems and we can have you know, gaps between us and someone else and still love them. Our disagreements don't have to push us to the point where there's massive division in the church, within the church. And it doesn't have to push us to the point where we push people away from the one who loved us the most. Romans 14.1 says, As for the one who is weak in the faith, I love this. For the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him. Welcome him. But not to quarrel over opinions. Oh, man. Does our world need that today? Our world needs that. It needs that. Listen, church, I'm not saying that you, you know, that you have to compromise what you believe and what your values are and what you grew up with. You don't have to compromise you know, the, 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 maybe the, the political party that you agree with most. I'm not saying that you have to like, you know, uh, you know, go against your values on what you believe about masks or no masks or vaccine or no vaccine. It's dangerous even saying that in church, I realize. What we're saying here and what God is saying is that we're commanded to love. I've seen some of you do this in amazing ways. I've seen some of you forgive and be kind and patient and accepting with me when I've been wrong, when I've done something wrong. And that's what the church should be known for, is that we accept those who are different from us. I love the story of Jesus and a tax collector. Tax collectors in in the Old Testament day, in the first century in Jesus' time, they were known as being the worst and most evil of people of that day. And some of you are like, that day? <laughs> I hear you, I get you. But there's a story about one, it's a famous story, and some of you who grew up in church, you know it. He had a funny name. What was his name? The tax collector? Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus had heard about Jesus, but he was a tax collector. And the reason that tax collectors had such a bad reputation, like they were the ones that if they walked in this door, we all would be like, they're in church? I can't believe they're here. You don't know what they've done. Because what they did is they would receive the money, and they'd take most of it and put it in their own pockets. And some of you are like, what's changed? Zacchaeus was that kind of person, right? But Zacchaeus had heard about Jesus. He had heard about the Savior. And he so desperately wanted to find out more. And the Bible tells us that he was short. And I love Zacchaeus. He's my favorite New Testament character. Justin, you can have some fun with that later. Zacchaeus was desperate, so desperate to see Jesus. He climbed up in a tree, and you know the rest of the story. Wanted to see Jesus, right? There's an old song. If you grew up in Sunday school, you know the song. I'm not going to sing it, right? Luke 19, verse 3, says this. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. I get you, Zacchaeus. So he hurried, verse 6 says. And he came down from the tree and received him joyfully. 
He and Jesus, my, my view of this is, is like he was so desperate to see Jesus. He's up in that tree, and when Jesus began to pass by, Zacchaeus is down off that tree in a heartbeat. Look, we may be short, but we can jump, all right? So, like, he got down off that tree because he wanted to see him. He was coming right there, and Jesus engaged him. There was joy. But look at the next verse. The people who were watching were like, no, 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 no. How can this be right? And when they saw it, they all grumbled. They all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a what? Sinner. Oh my goodness, Jesus. Not only did he do that, but he invited himself to his house. You don't do that, right? Jesus invited, he's like, hey, Zacchaeus, come out of the tree. Come on down. I'm going to your house. <laughs> Jesus broke all kind of rules there. And the people who were judging Zacchaeus were like, you can't do that. He's a sinful man. You know, I've come to understand over time that I am too. I am too. And God chose to die for me. And Zacchaeus stood and he said to himself, he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said today, Salvation has come to this house since he's also the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Hmm. You know what Jesus did with Zacchaeus? He made the first move. When he walked by, he saw him in the tree and he engaged him. And in that moment, Jesus demonstrates that someone who the world would say and who Christians would say and the church would say, he is a sinner, Jesus. Don't engage him. Jesus stopped everything. And he talked to a man who no one would accept. No one would embrace. Just like you and me. Jesus made the first move with Zacchaeus. You see, Jesus understood that this man can belong and believe, and his behavior might follow. It followed quickly, didn't it? He restored everything. He tried to correct his wrongs. By the way, that's what happens when we become Christ followers. God does such a great work in us that we leave the past behind. That's what repenting is. But church, we cannot be loving if we demand that from people who don't know him yet as their savior. And so our job is to love them and love them and love them and be patient with them and be patient with them and patient with them and be kind to them. Accept them. Until they get to a place where they say yes to Jesus. Their eternity may hang in the balance. And we at Hilton Head Island Community Church are called to be a loving church. Imagine what might happen to some of your friends. Maybe family. Neighbors. People you love. Who are maybe a little easier to love. And those who mm, it's really difficult to love. Imagine what might happen if we choose to be a loving church. But we need his help. And so that's what I want to pray for right now. Would you pray with me? Hmm. God, I'm so glad that you loved me. 
I certainly don't make it easy. But you love me. You loved me enough to send your son, Jesus, to die for me. The one who so often disappoints you, so often lets you down, he died for me. And Father, I thank you that you decided to love us first. God, I thank you that you made the first move. God, I thank you that you decided to initiate with us. Yes, we messed up your plan in the beginning and all the way back in the Garden of Eden, and we've been sinning every day of our lives ever since. But God, thank you, thank you. We are grateful that you sent your son to die for us. And God, there are so many things that divide us, that separate us within the church and from people who aren't inside the church. God, help us to have the discernment to understand the difference between hmm, loving the sin and loving the sinner. God, we can choose to, to disagree and we can choose to have our own values. We can choose to be red or to be blue or to be mask or no mask or vaccine or not vaccine. And God, all of that stuff is important, but it's not as important as loving. Help me to realize that. Help us to realize that. Help us to get over ourselves enough to love people that we may disagree with. We may not like their choices. Their choices may have affected us negatively. Father, help us to love them. God, I pray specifically that you would give us the strength and the courage to be people who are kind, to be people who are patient, and that we would be people who are forgiving. And God, that we would open our arms and accept people just like you did just the way we were. Father, help us to understand that what you did on the cross is the foundation of love. And God, I pray that we would make that our aim, that we would have that as our basis, that that would be our foundation, and that everything that we do is from that. Father, help us to be a church that is growing, and that is giving, and that is welcoming, and entrusting, and serving. But Father, help us to be people who are loving. Help us with that most difficult task, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.